This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight, names, maybe. The last-minute maneuvering allowing Jeffrey Epstein to keep his sick secrets from the grave. Trouble with the God. Wait, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. Charlemagne to God says Biden's kicking off his campaign with a major problem. Uh, among black men, Trump actually wins by three points in yeah. this poll, 49 to 46. Shocking. Why black men turn their backs on the president and how Kamala Harris makes the problem worse. Red alert. The U.S. military faces a missile shortage just when they need them the most. How Iran's drone strategy leaves our sailors in harm's way. Veep stakes. If you picked Nikki Haley, would that be a mistake? Yes. South Dakota's Christy Nome turns up the heat on the MAGA civil war. I just don't know which Nikki Haley is going to show up every day. How it would be different if they were both men? And life support. This is an attack on diversity. This is an attack on multiculturalism. The real reason for defending Harvard's plagiarizing ousted president. Making it so uncomfortable for these women leaders that they have to step down to be replaced by white men. Because that is the goal. We expose the DEI playbook for survival. We start with breaking news. Just in the past couple of minutes, a little past 7 o'clock Eastern time, we are getting word that 40 documents of the long-hidden Jeffrey Epstein files have been made public by a court in New York City. 934 pages in total. Some of it is still blacked out. You'll remember Alan Dershowitz last night predicted there would be redactions, and he's not happy about it. Our producers and reporters are tearing through these documents that have about 170 new names in them, and a, a lot of shall we say, discussion of Jeffrey Epstein's behavior between the time he pleaded guilty to child sex trafficking and the time he died. We're looking through the documents right now. We want to make sure we get this right. We also want to make sure that we don't bring you any names unfairly in terms of guilt by association. As soon as our reporters and our producers are able to verify this stuff, we're going to bring it to you as it happens. With that, we welcome you to The Ferris Show on television. On point tonight from Washington, saving DEI. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion programs at America's elite universities. That's the race-based programs that demand equity of outcomes rather than equality of opportunity. DEI, by its definition, requires the suspension of all objective standards of fairness. It's inherently unfair. Claudine Gay's resignation at Harvard shows that objective standards like rules against plagiarism apply to everybody. They apply to diversity hires. And that certainly threatens the left's worldview. There is this sort of open war on 
black progress, black history. This is an attack on diversity. This is an attack on multiculturalism. Every black professional in America can turn on their television today, see this news about Dr. Claudine Gay, and, and all have the same reaction. Mm. It, looks, it, it, it looks as though she was targeted. Yes, she was targeted. She wasn't targeted because she's black. In DEI, though, diversity and race come before the truth. Diversity and race come before right and wrong. Holding Gay, who originally won the Diversity Olympics, to objective standards of right and wrong, holding her to objective standards of plagiarism, holding her to the same rules that we all play by, well, that destroys the premise of race-based hiring and promotion standards of DEI. That threatens the left's worldview and their friends in the media's worldview. Thus, bizarre headlines like these come out. Our friend Eric Erickson pointed them out in his excellent daily newsletter from the Associated Press. Harvard's president resignation highlights new conservative weapon against colleges, plagiarism. Politico, how the right toppled Harvard's president. NPR, Claudine Gay's resignation highlights the trouble with regulating academic writing. Forbes, Claudine Gay resigns from Harvard, why black excellence is never enough. Just for a second, since the Associated Press holds themselves out as the gold standard of journalism, the Associated Press of all publications now calls charges of plagiarism, quote, a weapon. But in their coverage, they say the quiet part out loud. This isn't about gay. This isn't about the future. Those headlines came out overnight in this morning. But today, Claudine Gay admitted that it's not about her. It's about the future. She's about with a new op-ed in the New York Times, published at about 5 p.m. Eastern. What just happened at Harvard is bigger than me. Here's the quote. My hope is that by stepping down, I will deny demagogues the opportunity to further weaponize my presidency in their campaign to undermine the ideals animating Harvard since its founding, excellence, openness, independence, truth. The last one has some irony to it. Gay's problem actually was not telling the truth. In the end, plagiarism is about honesty, something that she has a problem with. Republicans have now found a way to apply objective standards to people hired because of their race. This is now about the left and the media protecting university presidents and professors going forward. Nicholas Confessori of the New York Times explains why they need protection. Quote, for many of Dr. Gay's critics, her departure was also a proxy victory in the escalating ideological battle over higher education. And yes, there is an ideological battle right now. It's between hiring people based on their race or hiring them based on their merit. More from Mr. Confessori's. Dr. Gay's defenders seeming to agree, warning that her resignation would encourage conservative interference in universities and imperil academic freedom. He does not say, nor do her detractors, say what freedom it threatens. We invited him on today. He declined. The freedom to plagiarize, the freedom to hire based on race rather than merit. Of course, the article doesn't say. The crazy headlines aren't about Claudine Gay. It's about defending DEI and painting anyone who attacks DEI, as you heard, as Claudine Gay said, as a demagogue. It can't be about plagiarism or merit or the facts or the truth. It has to be all about race, because race is all 
DEI cares about. It's about protecting university presidents and professors who got their jobs the same way Claudine Gay did. That's on point tonight. With us now from the Washington Free Beacon, Editor-in-Chief Eliana Johnson, staff writer Aaron Sabarium, who did both excellent work on exposing this. They were at the forefront of looking into Claudine Gay's academic record. Appreciate you both being here. Uh, Eliana, I want to start with you because this is from Claudine Gay's op-ed. Those who have relentlessly campaigned to oust me since the fall, often trafficked in lies and ad hominem insults, not reasoned argument, they recycled tired racial stereotypes about black talent and temperament. Your response. You know, Leland, I can only speak for the free beacon where um, we do hard-hitting investigative reporting, which began with Claudine Gay's response to um, the statement made by 33 Harvard student groups that um, laid the blame for Hamas's October 7th rampage on Israel, um, on Israel, and her statements following that. Um, we covered her congressional testimony. And then we've doggedly covered the allegations of plagiarism uh, against her. So um, I imagine she's referring to others, but really um, I think it obscures the uh, extent to which it is um, hard-hitting investigative reporting that was her undoing and her and the Harvard Corporation, that's the governing, governing body um, that runs Harvard, their opacity, brittleness, um, unpreparedness for scrutiny that led to her downfall. Yeah, I'm almost wondering, in a way, when you said there, she was referring to somebody else. I don't think so. I think she's referring to anybody who who attacked her. Uh, but Aaron, I'm I'm wondering as you were as you were reporting this story, as reporters do, right? You go talk to sources, you get documents, you go look through things. I'm wondering if you were subjected to attacks of people calling you racist, of people saying that you were doing this because you were out to get somebody. And I'm wondering how you how you dealt with that. I probably got some of that on Twitter. I, I got to tell you, I've been so busy covering the story that I haven't been checking my Twitter notifications too closely. Um, you know, I I don't really care about those kinds of allegations. They're absurd on their face. Um, obviously, it is a big deal uh, if the president of Harvard University uh, plagiarizes repeatedly and flagrantly violates longstanding academic norms. Uh should be obvious why that's that's an important story, and so I was busy covering it, and I really, frankly, have not had time. You don't have to, to go through and you look don't at have to name <laughs> you don't have to name names, Aaron, or 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 sort of preview anything. Mm-hmm. But in your reporting, did you come up or get other tips uh, about other people, uh, prominent folks in academia who may have some of the same problems that Claudine Gay has? Uh, I can't really comment on that, but let me just say I, I, I am sure that Claudine Gay is not the only person who has plagiarized, um, and I'm always on the lookout for more tips if people have. <laughs> News Nation audience, uh, uh, if you have them, send them our way. You know where to come with all of your yep. tips on people. Eliana, I, I'm wondering in a weird way that, that it was so important for Harvard to protect Claudine Gay and protect the DEI concept. In a weird way, they opened it up to way more attacks. If they had ousted her at the very beginning over her dishonesty and over her plagiarism, 
we sort of wouldn't be at this place. DEI wouldn't be under attack. And now by the very idea that they tried to save it, um, it's it's now been far more exposed. I think there's some truth to that. You know, I think she, um, in, in a way that was not fair to her, perhaps, came to symbolize more than simply the president of Harvard and certainly her disastrous congressional testimony um, put the national spotlight on her and expose the intellectual rot of these elite universities. So when she says, you know, I became a target, she is right to a certain extent. Um, that that congressional testimony turned people's heads and made people wonder, including uh-huh. us at the Washington Free Beacon, what exactly is happening at these schools? Who are the people running them? And because she was so important, I think, a symbol to Harvard, uh, they dug in and defended her perhaps longer than than was necessary, including, by the way, I think we shouldn't forget the 12 members of the Harvard Corporation who are titans of business, of law, um, of politics, um, who hired a top-notch defamation firm to intimidate and threaten the New York Post from reporting these allegations um, because they did not want to see her resign. But she is right that um, by her own doing, and and any president of of Harvard will be a target because of that university's influence. Those presidents became targets by their own doing, by their own words. Yeah, you're, you're, right. you're absolutely right. Um, you live by the sword, you die by the sword, just the way the world works. Thank you all both very much. We'll continue to follow your reporting. Congratulations uh, on some great journalism. Thank you. The White House Thanks. Press Corps, speaking of journalism, did a little journalism today. They held John Kirby's feet to the fire over the Biden administration's policy to deter Iran, specifically on whether the policy is working at all. As the president has made clear, the United States does not seek conflict with any nation or actor in the Middle East. But neither will we shrink from the task of defending ourselves, our interests, our partners, or the free flow of international commerce. As they say in sports, let's go to the tape, because a picture is worth a thousand words. This map shows exactly how Iran is winning. They have fully disrupted international shipping with attacks on commercial ships and the U.S. Navy. They're no longer going anywhere near the Red Sea. 10% of commercial traffic in the world went through the Red Sea. Now it's going around the Horn of Africa. That means higher shipping costs, higher prices for you. Also helps the Iranians with their oil trade. The U.S. Navy continues to use million-dollar missiles now to shoot down cheap Iranian drones. And so far, Mr. Biden refuses to order strikes on the Iranian-backed militias launch sites or weapons facilities. In short, the Iranian Houthis use U.S. Navy ships for target practice, and we do nothing. Now, the Wall Street Journal reports the West badly needs more missiles, but the wait to buy them is years long. Go figure. Ambassador John Bolton is here, former assistant to the president for National Security Affairs, otherwise known as the National Security Advisor. Mr. Ambassador, good to see you. Um, What's Iran's next move? Well, I think they're really calling the shots, and uh, you've just highlighted the, the dangers the Houthis are posing to Uh, international uh, commerce uh, in the Red Sea. But I think it's important to look at the whole Middle East as one chessboard where uh, Iran really is moving the pieces around. The Houthis in Yemen, obviously the Hamas barbarism uh, on October the 7th, and now the war in Gaza. Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon firing uh, dozens of missiles every day for the last almost three months into northern Israel. And Uh, Iraqi Shia militia in Iraq and Syria attacking American service members 
uh, and civilian personnel. All, all of this being ratcheted up, uh, not, not to mention interference with oil traffic and, and, and other things in the Persian Gulf. All, all of this is at Iran's beck and call. And it's not just that the administration is failing in deterrence. I don't even think they're trying really hard. And that puts uh, particularly Americans on the ground in Iraq and Syria very much in jeopardy. Military officers have been quoted anonymously as saying the only thing that saved us in the last three months from well over uh, 100 attacks on our people there is luck. And that is not a strategy. And it's not fair to the service members uh, or, or others to leave them out there as targets. No, look, and sadly, luck runs out at some point, and we, we've talked about that, that at some point the Iranians are going to get either a, a, a drone through and hit a U.S. Navy ship. They're going to hit one of the bases in Iraq and Syria. I want to get you to Hezbollah uh, in, in Israel's north. We've said for about the past three months now that it didn't appear as though Hezbollah wanted an all-out war and Iran didn't want an all-out war uh, with Israel because once they lose Hezbollah, they lose their insurance policy, if you will against a U.S. first strike or an Israeli first strike on Iranian nuclear facilities. That said, uh, you watch this region about as closely as anybody. I lived there for four years. It feels as though the Israelis now may not want a war with Hezbollah, but they're certainly not shying away from one. Uh, they just hit and killed a number of, of Hezbollah leadership today. It feels like they're, they're starting to get ready and itch for a fight there. Yeah. Well, I think uh, that explains in part the withdrawal of some of the Israeli forces from the Gaza Strip. Some are going to go back, are reservists, they're going to go back into the Israeli economy, which, which needs their services. Others, after some rest, are going to be deployed to the north because I think Israel's worried about what may come next. You know, I, I don't think we yet know what Iran's full strategy is, but they've spent three months pounding a significant part of uh, northern Israel, and, and, and that could be just sort of getting, uh, get, getting in motion. And what Israel did here today was go after a Hamas, yesterday a Hamas target uh, who was basically a key official dealing with Hezbollah. Shows the coordination among Iran's proxies and Iran itself. Uh, and, and I think this is uh, Israel trying to change the narrative which has been dictated these last three months by Iran. And, and uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think Israel would have done this without expecting some significant response from Hezbollah and Iran, and they, they in turn will be prepared to respond to that. The question is, is the United States just going to sit there and let this develop, see our service members and civilians in uh, Iraq and Syria in effect held hostage and, and maybe actually taken hostage if we're not careful here? I think you make a very good point uh, in terms of if, you've, if, you're, if you're sitting on the sidelines doing nothing, the other side gets to dictate the terms, which is scary. Um, when it's the Iranians dictating. Now, Mr. Ambassador, it's good to see you, sir. Thank you very much. A lot more on this tomorrow in War Notes. Uh, that's our daily newsletter that gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. Warnotes.com and subscribe. The notes started as our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It's literally how we put the show together. You get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts or join us on social media at Leland Vittert on Instagram or Twitter. That's warnotes.com and subscribe for free. Coming up next, breaking news as the names of the most closely guarded list in America begin to come out. Who were the friends of Jeffrey Epstein who tried so hard to keep their identities hidden? And South Dakota's Christy Nome throws down with Nikki Haley over a possible inclusion on a Trump ticket. Donald Trump, of course, loves all of it. Why this MAGA civil war right now between two women? Well... 
is so good for Donald Trump? And what if it were too many? Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s message can be heard everywhere. His words change the nation. And though you might not know where the words came from, you can feel the truth behind them. We're now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We're confronted with the fierce urgency of now. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. called us all to service. Opportunities to serve those in need are all around you. And every time you volunteer to read to a child, serve a hearty meal, or clean up a park in your comunidad, his message becomes a reality. This January is your chance to let MLK's word inspire you to action. Learn how you can volunteer for a better tomorrow on MLK Day at americorps.gov forward slash MLK Day. Tired of late night politics? Excuse me, if I just want to laugh just a little. Stay up all evening with Antenna TV and enjoy your favorite classic sitcoms. Designing Women. You're kidding! Oh, be still my heart. Becker. Check out the Hippocratic Oath. It doesn't mention nice. Wings. I'm laughing already. Classic comedy all day, all night on... In Iraq, our truck hit a roadside bomb. I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm. And I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. And it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us. Operation Homefront, they've really been a blessing. Visit OperationHomefront.org to learn more. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Elizabeth Vargas, and this is America's source for engaging and unbiased news. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary... What's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. My mom has taken up going to the park to practice yoga. My dad's going to a club, but not a book club, a salsa club. Finding new hobbies comes with age. My mom has started getting lost and not knowing where she's going. Becoming lost or disoriented doesn't. Confusion with time or place may be a sign of Alzheimer's. An early diagnosis can help improve the quality of life for your loved one. Learn the warning signs of Alzheimer's at 10signs.org. Brought to you by the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. That's why AARP created thisispretirement.org. Because unless you've already retired, you're in pretirement and you still have time to plan. Learn about retirement savings options, potential tax breaks, and how you can build savings over time. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan and feel the retirement fear disappear. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Action! When I grew up, I want to be a director. Because they get to talk to everybody about everything. They get to make cool movies and dance music videos. If your child is sick over and over again, it could be P.I. 
a defect of the immune system that affects millions. Early testing can give children a chance to dream. And when I'm a director, I get to say, lights, camera, action. For more information, visit the Jeffrey Modell Foundation at infoforpi.org. That's a wrap. breaking news we told you about at the top of the show 900 pages and 40 different documents from the long fought over jeffrey epstein files have been unsealed and released by a new york judge news nation's laura ingle has been pouring through them joins us now and what we're looking for is the 170 plus names of people who aren't accused of wrongdoing but associated with jeffrey epstein what we find yeah, that, and that's what this has all been about, is just how many names are in there. And, of course, we knew that a lot of these names have already been out there, names we've heard before, names of associates and maybe workers at Epstein's properties. Um, so we have been pouring over the 934 pages that were released tonight uh, in these newly unsealed documents, Leland, include such filings as depositions. That's what we're doing. We're going through their records. So we're going through records that have names in them. There's not a glossary. There's not a list. Um, that's what's making making this kind of like this 10,000-piece puzzle that we're all trying to put together. So as we go through this and we look at some of the filings, we're looking at depositions um, from Ghislaine Maxwell and Virginia Jufre, uh, which include the details of Virginia Jufre's relationship and interactions with Jeffrey Epstein and Maxwell. Uh, there's one section that cites videotaped testimony uh, from Alfredo Rodriguez, a name we probably wouldn't know. He's Epstein's household manager was, who testified that the defendant, Ghislaine Maxwell, in this deposition, this is uh, about the defendant, that she freed frequently stayed in Epstein's home, assisted with bringing in young girls to act as masseuses for Epstein. We knew stuff like this, but how Epstein then instructed him to take some of the young girls to the store and buy them whatever they wanted, implying to keep their silence. Um, One of the biggest bombshells, I suppose, that we're seeing right now um, is about an email, an email in these documents that is published in black and white um, that we have not been able to confirm that appears to be from Jeffrey Epstein to Maxwell about Virginia Jufre. It appears that they were trying to pay off some of her friends uh, to silence her allegations. One of her allegations Hmm. is that Stephen Hawkins, the scientist, participated, this is in an email in these documents, in an underage orgy. This is an allegation. Uh, He was seen, Hawkins was seen in pictures with Epstein in 2015 on one of his islands. Obviously, we've not been able to confirm this or verify it, but it is in the document. So those are kind of some of the eye-popping things that we have seen so far. And we've got our our team of producers and writers going through all of this, trying to figure out uh, if there's any more names that we can bring to you tonight. We'll do that as we get in here. We have to say at the the top, no allegations so far yet in terms of... uh, any kind of criminal allegations against Stephen Hawking. And obviously this is something that the FBI and others had access to a long time before we did. Um, All right, Laura, keep going through it. Obviously a lot more um, as you have it. We'll be back to you. Thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, To politics now. The Republican civil war over Nikki Haley entered a new phase. She's now ahead of Ron DeSantis in national polling. And that, well, concerns a lot of Trump supporters. Just take a listen to South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem last night when asked about Trump picking Haley as his running mate. You know, I just, I've had a lot of disagreements with Nikki Haley over the years, and I just don't know which Nikki Haley is going to show up every day. She's, she's a different person depending on whatever works for her political agenda. 
All right, with us now, Lauren Wright, professor of political science at Princeton University and host of the Aggressive Progressive podcast, indicated radio show, Chris Hahn, News Nation political contributor as well. All right, Chris, uh, we read your titles, uh, therefore the segment is over. We got, we got three titles in here, man. We got to get, we got to cut this down. Uh, Lauren, uh, to you You're first. Use one. It's fine. Chris okay, is well, too we had, qualified. Yeah. Um, Lauren, to you first, help me understand We've, we've, why is Nikki Haley, and we talked about this a little bit last night, but I think it's important to understand, why is Nikki Haley so threatening, not as a challenger to Donald Trump, but as a VP pick for Donald Trump? Well, perhaps she's threatening to the other people who want to be VP, like Noam, but I don't think it'll be either of them. Trump will be a very interesting watch because it's a question of does he pick someone who's loyal like Christy Nome who has all of his same positions and loves him and supports him no matter what or someone like Nikki Haley who brings balance and a big state where he needs some help right now. Chris on to you you've said all along that Democrats should be terrified of Nikki Haley uh, she's now at 30% in New Hampshire. She started. She has momentum. She's catching fire. Are Democrats starting to talk about what if it's not Donald Trump as the nominee? If it's not Donald Trump and it's Nikki Haley, Democrats are going to have a problem if Joe Biden is still the nominee. Uh, Nikki Haley matches up incredibly well against Joe Biden, even with the gaffe she did last week. Uh, she will be somebody who is very hard to call crazy. But I agree with Lauren. Neither one of these two are going to be the VP nominee. They don't bring enough to the ticket. They don't help him win a swing state. Uh, I think your pal Glenn Youngkin is more likely to be a VP nominee who might help him win a state like Virginia or somebody who could help him win somewhere else. But no, I am very concerned if Nikki Haley becomes uh, the nominee. I'm not concerned if she becomes the VP. Lauren, take us through this in in terms of we've seen the, the presumptive nominee fall quickly. You know, we, we saw it with Jeb Bush, for example, in, in 2016. We've seen it happen. We saw it with Hillary Clinton in 2008. Uh, Barack Obama came from behind in Iowa and then, and then became the nominee. Is there anything we're seeing in the momentum that Nikki Haley's getting that tells us that this could be one of these years that the conventional wisdom uh, gets turned on its head? Never say never, but the gap to me is simply too large. And let's not forget, Trump started ahead of Jeb Bush, even in the summer of 2015. And so he's really someone who was dominant, continues to be. And if Republicans really wanted any realistic shot at this, they should have coalesced behind someone who could bring more moderates, which is a little bit like what Chris just said. Yeah, the idea in New Hampshire, right, is that there's a possibility that you're going to get some moderates, some independents, some even conservative Democrats who are going to hop in uh, because of the open primary and vote uh, for for Nikki Haley. Yeah. Where do you where do you see the where where's the arc of this story going, Chris, in terms of when when all of a sudden does it go from is Nikki Haley a threat to Nikki Haley actually being a threat to Donald Trump? If Donald Trump is not above 50% in Iowa, watch the die turn, especially in the national coverage. Right now, the expectations for Trump are very high. And when you're in politics, you want to manage expectations. His expectations right now is he's going to trounce everybody in Iowa and New Hampshire. 
If he is <laughs> under 50 in Iowa, he's going to lose New Hampshire. And if he loses New Hampshire, game on in South Carolina yeah. and the rest of the country because he will yeah. no longer seem inevitable and the expectations he set for himself will have been smashed. Yeah, if, if all of it, if, if, yeah, if Donald Trump loses New Hampshire, we're all going to be spending a lot of time uh, in South Carolina this February. Good to see both of you. Thank you. Trouble with the gods sticking with politics. New complaints from black voters that the Biden administration takes them for granted. How old clips of President Biden are causing new problems. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. He will be uh, traveling on Saturday uh, for January 6th uh, to Pennsylvania. That is something that the campaign uh, is putting together. Campaign trip to commemorate January 6th. After his trip this coming weekend, President Biden heads to speak at Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina on Monday. It's the second of his first 2024 campaign speeches. He'll likely echo themes from the first speech. Trump's a threat to democracy. Trump's racist, et cetera, et cetera. The location, of course, carries special meaning because in 2015, Dylan Roof killed nine people shooting there at that historically black church. Where President Biden isn't going, coal country in Pennsylvania, suburban Atlanta to talk with white workers, middle, uh, middle of Michigan to court union workers. Those are places with swing voters. But Mr. Biden is heading to a black church in a red state because of problems with his base, black voters. With us now, civil rights attorney Robert Petillo, political consultant Sir Michael Singleton. Gentlemen, good to see both of you. Um, Robert, start with you because you've been predicting this. New polling from the Roper Center shows Biden gets the support of 63 percent of black voters down from the 87 percent he carried in 2020. Does going to talk at a black church in Charleston change that? It doesn't change it, but it's a good first step. What the black community is looking for is legislation. Uh, we were plan- well, promised a George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. It hasn't been even voted on. We've been promised a voting rights act. It uh, hasn't been voted on. We've been promised uh, various economic opportunities have not materialized yet. So for all the good work the Biden administration has done, there's still a deficit that has to be met. And when you see them advocating so strongly for other communities, it's very much as a push to get legislation pushed through while we have the opportunity to do so. Politico, hardly a right-leaning news organization came out uh, with a phenomenal piece uh, about Charlemagne the God, calling it the Charlemagne the God problem. We'll put up the headline uh, in a minute. Uh, The influential radio host of The Breakfast Club is a thorn in the side of Democrats, but he's also representative of one of their biggest problems. Dan, you told us to vote for them, meaning Biden-Harris. Do you know how many people say that to me all the time? Sure, Michael, it's one thing to have people sit on the couch and stay home. It's another yeah. thing to flip them to be Republicans. That's not something that either Trump or Nikki Haley seems to be working on. Right? Yeah, but I don't think uh, Trump necessarily needs to do that. Trump needs to just maintain uh, his previous numbers in 2020. I mean, you look at states like Arizona and Georgia uh, that Biden was able to flip. If Trump can regain those states, he'll win. Uh, Trump won or Biden won Georgia by less than 20,000 votes. He won Arizona by less than 20,000 votes. So we look at the math. If there's a deficit in African-American turnout, if there's a deficit in Hispanic turnout, if there's a deficit in younger voters 
overall, then those states could indeed flip back to the Republican corner, thus giving Donald Trump a victory electorally uh, this November. I think about Joe Biden's relationship with the African-American community. He's had to apologize a couple times. He had to apologize. Yeah, well, I don't know, but even, even 2020, talking to Charlemagne the God uh, about uh, black about getting courting the black vote and then also uh, for a comment in 2012 take a listen if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or trump and you ain't black romney wants to let the he said in the first hundred days he's gonna let the big banks once again write their own rules unchain wall street they're gonna put you all back in chains Robert, being taken for granted is one thing, right? Nobody wants to feel taken for granted. But the, the dot, dot, dot to that would be he picked the first black vice president in history. Why does that not sort of settle this all once and for all? Oh, it's a, it's a first step. President Biden has an impeccable record when it comes to the appointment of African-Americans. Contrary to what Mr. McKelvey has said, I'm not going to call the grown man Charlemagne, sorry. Uh, but contrary to what he has said, President Biden put an African-American woman on the Supreme Court, African-American vice president, African-American defense secretary, African-American joint chiefs, African-American HUD secretary, African-American joint We get the list. You get the list. So President Biden has a record to stand on. But when it comes to those big legislative items that people that he campaigned on, those where they were missing. I'm wondering, though, if it's a little more complicated. I'll give you the last 20 seconds or so. Social issues. Young black black men, there's a conservative streak when it comes to certain social issues. I'm thinking about trans issues. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about uh, male head of household issues. I'm yeah, thinking about yeah. education. There, I'm wondering if it's a little bit more complicated. I'm thinking about housing and access to housing. I'm wondering if it's yeah. a little more complicated. Economics, economic prosperity. I mean, black men are trending more towards the right. Uh, like men, generally speaking, I think black men, if you look at some focus group data, they do sort of feel uh, this sense that they're being neglected, that they're being ignored by Democrats. And anytime they talk about black men, it's only under the guise of uh, criminal justice reform, as if that is the only thing that impacts us. I've never been to prison, nor have my good friend Robert here. And so I would just say quickly here, Leland, overall, Democrats do have a problem with a certain sector of African-Americans. While many black people continuously vote Democratic, there is a possibility. Possibility with the right message, with the right policy positions, particularly those that are focused on economics, for more black men to say, you know what, I'm going to give something else a try. All right. Fair enough. And to your point, they don't have to give it a try, right? They just have to stay home and it changes things. Yeah. Well, well, I would hope that Republicans have to put a black platform forward to create an actual marketplace. There we go. All right. Don't disagree, Rob. Hey, you see, I love this. <laughs> now we can go to break. Coming up next, Republicans <laughs> head to the border. Why their plan to impeach the DHS secretary might backfire. We have House Republicans that's literally blocking the president's effort to do something. That's what they're doing. They're playing political games. They're doing political stunts. Hmm. I was White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre talking about Republicans' visit to the border today. It comes after record-setting numbers of illegal immigrants in December, November, and September of crossings at the southern border. Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, with us now from Eagle Pass, Texas. Uh, Good to see you, sir. Happy New Year. The White House, as you know, has called this a photo op by you, the Speaker, and other members of the Republican Caucus. Have you seen, done, discovered anything uh, that proves this isn't a photo op? 
Well, we saw people crossing, coming across the river, coming across the Rio Grande as we were standing there talking with Border Patrol agents and people from the Texas Highway Patrol. So it's as real as it gets. But you don't have to take my word for it. You can watch any, any news clip in the last three years and see how serious the problem is. And, of course, just last month, we set a record, 300,000. So I always tell people we know the cause. It's Joe Biden's policies. He intentionally did this to the country, which is just hard for, I think, American citizens to fathom. But that's the case. Look, executive action also could turn people back, change the asylum rules, go back to the migrant protection protocols, all things uh, that are possible. Let's look forward, though. You make a great point. Twelve million people. So this is going to be a problem the next president's going to have to deal with because we know he's not going to sign H.R. 2. That's that's a non-starter for this White House. But where where is this headed? We've heard Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago, talk about pathway to citizenship and amnesty. You're saying effectively that this is not a failure of policy, but the policy of the Biden administration for all these folks coming across. Are they is the dot, dot, dot that this is leading to a push for mass amnesty? Of course, the Democrats have said that all along. I mean, why else would you on day one? January 20th, 2021, day one, Joe Biden comes in and says, we're not going to build the wall anymore. We're not going to go with Remain in Mexico. We're going to end that. And we're going to release people who we catch, release people who come and present themselves, just release them in the country. No detention whatsoever. No removal, frankly, whatsoever. So when you do those three policies, it's like, well, shazam, everyone's going to come. And there's no other conclusion any rational person can reach, but that this is intentional. This is deliberate. This is a willful action on the part of the Biden administration because they want amnesty for I guess, 12 million people. The American people don't want that. They're not going to stand for that. And Republicans certainly aren't going to support that. When President Trump wins, which I think is what's going to happen, he will go back to the policies that were working. He would sign H.R. 2, our our legislation. Uh, He would do the right thing. Well, you and I will have a discussion then about uh, E-Verify and what that would do to uh, certain employers in states other than Ohio. But that's a a different conversation. I want to play for you uh, something from Korean Jean-Pierre today. Uh, talking about members of the House and what's happening on the border. Take a listen. The Republicans in the House, they voted to get rid of 2,000, 2,000 Border Patrol agents. I mean, that's their focus. So, of course, that's not helpful. So we need the resources to actually do the work, and they keep getting in the way. House Republicans keep getting in the way. They're saying you're getting in the way. Good. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, let's let's assume she's right. I don't think she is. I don't I don't think that's the policy of that. We certainly support the border patrol agents. Not one border patrol agent has, t- has talked to us about that as being a concern. What they've talked about is just how they have to bring people in from doing their job out in the field to process. So if there were two thousand more border patrol agents, assuming she's accurate in what she says, and I don't think she is. They would just be processing more people. So you would speed up this track. You would be more than 12 million in a four year presidency. Uh, So I just think that's ridiculous. That's all they can say, because they know deep down they created this with their policies that they put in place at the very beginning of the administration. And now here we are three years in. The only logical solution at this point is to stop it. Pass the bill and everything, but stop it. Say suspend allowing people into the country because the problem has gotten so bad. Look, it's very easy to change this with policy. I've been down on the border, as have you a number of times. I I get that. Uh, To that end, uh, House Republicans have now announced that they're going to begin impeachment proceedings against Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary. If this is indeed, as you put put out, and I I think there's a lot of credence to the argument, this is is not a policy failure, but a policy by the Biden administration. 
How does impeaching Mayorkas change and make a lick of difference if it's something coming from Mayorkas's boss? Well, I think it's all part of the Biden administration. I think you're right with that. I do think, though, as, as uh, Chairman so Green I'm, has pointed I'm right out, that impeach- Secretary Mayorkas. Im- I'm right that impeaching him is sort of a, a is political show and not actually going to make a difference when it comes to what's happening on the border. Well, look, impeachment, any decision on impeachment should be based on the facts. And we're in an impeachment inquiry phase about the president. We've been in an impeachment sort of inquiry phase about Mayorkas as well, I would say, based on the, the, the uh, uh, work that Chairman Green has done in the Homeland Security Committee and some of the, frankly, the hearings we've had in our committee, we're going to be driven by the facts, we're going to be driven by the evidence, and then we'll make a decision. I know Chairman Green's announced that. We're going to work closely with him and proceed forward. We'll see where the members uh, of the House of Representatives are when it comes to that question and when actual articles, in fact, may get filed. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you very much. Uh, Enjoy the sunshine uh, at Eagle Pass. It's not quite like that here in Washington. We'll see you back here next week, sir. Thank you, Leland. Take care. Next, Barbie versus body positivity. How Ozempic brought us right back to the 1990s. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Margot Robbie, which some say her performance in Barbie may win an Oscar, is a long way from the body positivity world between Barbie and Ozempic. We're going back to the 1990s view of femininity. It's almost like corporate greed was behind Dove embracing overweight models and Victoria's Secret ditching their angels. Cultural reporter for Vox, Constance Grady, is with us now. I'm fascinated by your article, The Year of Ozempic Bodies in Barbie Botox, Corporate Feminism, will not save us. What do you mean by that? Thanks so much for having me. I think that what the past year has shown us in the body positivity movement has been that the way that a lot of corporations and brands paid lip service to body positivity turned out to be really shallow. And as soon as Ozempic arrived, we saw them start to turn their backs on it. Um, And there are numbers backing that up. For example, on runway shows, the number of plus size models has gone down from its peak in 2020 when 5% of the models shown were plus sized to just 0.6% in 2023. Fascinating. Look, corporations follow the money. So they you say they were kind of playing lip service. What about Ozempic? How are you tying Ozempic to, I guess you could almost call it what, the death of body positivity in corporate America? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think that what we're seeing is Ozempic giving people the possibility of embracing a smaller body and corporations saying, oh, well, now that that's a realistic option for a lot of people, even though it's not a realistic option for the vast majority of Americans who can't afford this drug at this point in time, then we're just going to lean all the way into that. This body positivity doesn't seem to make sense for their body, for their bottom line anymore. And we're seeing headlines talking about how heroin chic is trending and the 90s are back and the body ideal of that decade is back with it. 
It's, it's a fascinating connection. You make a great point in that, you know, Hollywood and New York, where these corporate headquarters are, they, they can all afford Ozempic. The rest of America cannot for weight loss. Does anything turn this around, you think? I think that these trends tend to be cyclical. It's kind of weird to talk about body types as trends, but that's how pop culture and the fashion industry tend to treat them. Um, so it's very possible that in 10, 20 years, we'll see larger bodies coming back into fashion, but it's going to be a long wait for a lot of people. Constance, uh, really fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thank you for writing such a great article. We really, we were really interested in it when uh, we read it, and the interview did not disappoint. We'll have you back. Great talking to you. My buddy Brian Enton is in for Chris Cuomo coming up, and he's going to have the very latest on the big names inside Jeffrey Epstein's Secret Files. Hey, everybody, I'm Brian Enton filling in for Chris Cuomo tonight. We are live with some very big breaking news. Uh, We're scrambling here. 900 pages we're trying to go through. Just minutes ago, the big reveal of the list of almost 200 friends and associates of Jeffrey Epstein's has been released from the sealed court documents. 934 pages. We've got them sprawled out all across the desk here. We've been going through it for the last hour and a half or so. All names were 